Welcome to Nature Revisited. I pass by the Dartmouth Organic Farm nearly every day. It's a teaching farm at Dartmouth College. Some years ago, I noticed a rather tall, white-haired gentleman with a John Muir beard teaching his students outside in their garden. I remember being very intrigued. There was a sense of sharing and knowledge in his demeanor. So one day, I stopped and introduced myself. And that is how I first met Scott Stokey in the beginning of a long and wonderful friendship. But it's not the friendship that brings Scott to Nature Revisited. Scott is an ecological educator who for years has been sharing his perspective on where we are and the times we live in. His is an independent voice, almost like a voice in the wilderness. I have often referred to Scott as a reluctant genius. And over the years, my conversations with him have helped me to better understand our relationship to the natural world, or what some call nature. Nature is not real. It's a cultural construct that allows us to separate ourselves from the living planet so that we can use it and abuse it. But let's, let's start with the word, nature. What does it mean to you? And what do you think some of the meaning, both good and bad, is behind that word? Well, I'm working hard to leave that word behind. So I'm not focusing on it much. I'm not unpacking it or analyzing it or trying to find it. I believe that the category of nature was created in an attempt for human beings to separate themselves. And um, you can find this going on throughout Western thought all the way back to the Greeks. There are some folks, there's some eco-feminists who believe that you could blame Plato for most of this. Plato had a structure for dividing things up and separating them in a way that made people feel like they could use other. And so one of those categories was nature. And this process of creating this separation is called dualism. And one of the classic dualisms that was present in the Greek philosophy that has come all the way through Western civilization is the contrast between culture and nature. And I think that's a completely false structure. It's a mental structure put in place so that you could abuse the environment. It's a split that doesn't exist, and it never existed. We were never not nature. So some folks came along four or 500 years ago with some ideas about how you could think of us as being different. And those ideas were the foundation of the Industrial Revolution and the Scientific Revolution. But we never stopped being a part of nature because our thinking was different. So that split is an intellectual technique to help us do a lot of really interesting things we couldn't have done without it. So philosophically, one of the empowering ideas of 
the Industrial Revolution, of the Scientific Revolution, was to recognize the power of ideas, the power of the brain. And that became the emphasis, rather than our physical world, what was important was what can we measure, what can we prove about the material world, not how am I made up of that material world. And I believe in that process, because it was so successful, in that process, people began to abandon what we knew about ourselves before that. What we knew about ourselves was what we wore, what we ate, what we built our homes from, was all a connection to the living planet. And when we shifted into this emphasis about our ideas rather than our material world, we began to lose the ability to understand that connection, that physical direct connection. And a lot of people think that because we were able to shift into our minds, we were also able to start ignoring the harm and the damage that we were doing. And we are now beginning to pay a really big price for the limitations of that movement. It's not that it was a, a lie or inaccurate, but what it did is it, it, is it encouraged us to not see ourselves as part of the living, breathing planet. I think what we need to do is understand that that formatting of our relationship is, is a failed formatting. And what we need to find is what, what's a healthier way to frame who we are and how we relate to other. And other is everybody. It's the woman in the grocery store, and it's the bald eagle, and it is the living soil under your feet. Those are all others. And I, I think that the concept of nature will take us away from reformulating our relationship to other. So I'd prefer to ditch the word. I think it's fine to revisit it and say, well, what, did, you know, what was the old way? Well, yeah, it might be useful sometimes to, to look at that. But I think it will only hold us back if we're trying to fix the concept of nature and keep it. Because I don't think we can fix it. I think there's an inherent flaw in there. Can I read you a quote? The major problems in the world are the result of the differences between how nature works and the way people think. That's Gregory Bateson. Gregory was a social scientist, a thought leader in, in the ecological movement. What it points out is that we have some flawed thinking going on here. There's nothing wrong with human beings and there's nothing wrong with the planet. But the problems we're dealing with now have to do with how we create our thought process. And I think the word nature is a part of the problem, not a part of the solution. So I can't find enough um, usefulness in the term that I, I think we're much better off walking away from it. So can you talk a little bit about other cultures in the sense is that there are other cultures that don't have the word nature? Right. I agree. The, people think that humanity started with tillage agriculture, and it didn't. So I'm once again, I'm not going to answer your question, but I am going to point out that as a species, we've been around for at least 200,000 years. Western civilization has been around for 10 thousand years. So what that suggests is that for 190,000 years, 
we were co-evolving with the living planet. So almost all of humanity never had the word nature. <laughs> now, within that process, there's all of these very different groups that had all of these very unique relationships with the unique places they were in. And no, I can't, I can't speak to that. I, I actually think it would be um, inappropriate for me because it, it's, it's something I, I, I know nothing about. What we do know is when we look back at the quality of their environment in the places they've lived for decades, centuries, millennia, it doesn't look degraded. That part is clear. The values, the cultural norms, the, the life processes that each of those groups used, I think we all need to study them, but I haven't studied them. So I don't really know. You talked earlier about how you would like to just kind of do away with this word that we use called nature. But talk a little bit about how you think it's really important to, to not use that word, to do away with it, and how you see it actually doing good in the future. Well, once again, I think the word is the product of this false separation. It, it somehow creates a category that makes us think that we actually don't need a living, healthy planet. My focus is on honoring, respecting, and enhancing our connection to this web of life. So um, nature suggests that we can set aside that relationship, that we can say, oh, I'm going to go do nature this weekend, and then I'm going to come back home. Well, we're sitting here every once in a while, we're all taking a breath of air. We're all inhaling oxygen. Where did that oxygen come from? Oh, if there wasn't life on this planet, there'd be very little oxygen here. So who's responsible for that? Well, the oxygen comes from the plant world. Oh, so I guess I'm connected to a whole different kingdom. So I didn't separate from nature. I might have stepped inside, but I didn't disconnect from that web of life. So nature has been used to suggest that we can disconnect. So none of us are going to go very long without breathing. We could go a little bit longer without drinking water, but how did that water get here? Well, the water gets here through the processes of the living planet. So we think nature is separate or distant or we're able to disconnect from it, but there's running water at the sink. And then within hours, our stomach starts to rumble and we need some food. Well, we're a little bit confused right now, as, as uh, Gregory Bateson pointed out. Um, a lot of people unconsciously think that food comes from the grocery store. And we can choose to go to the store or not, but I don't have to worry about that store because it's always full of food. Well, the point is that that stocked refrigerator is the direct link to the living planet. So when you say you're taking a break from nature, you're only using language that suggests that that's possible. But in reality, it's impossible. And to be alive means to be in the web of life. So it's, it's the historical use of the word nature that I have trouble with. 
there's a sub meaning of that word, um, you know, the, the nature of that tree or the nature of that animal. I don't have trouble with, with that use of the word. But what I struggle with is, is um, when it contributes to this duality and separation of humanity and all the other living aspects of this amazing planet. One of the things I, I, I want to be clear about is that rather than attacking those structures that we know are flawed, I'd, I'd much rather we spend, starting in this moment, that we spend our energy and our creativity on connecting to a better formulation of our existence. Uh, what, what's a better way for us to think about who we are and how we're to behave? And so I don't know that we have to beat up the word nature. I think we can just move on to some, some healthier things. What are the, some of those things you'd like to move on to? Well, that's, part of that is, is that whole bigger category of ecological literacy. So Western civilization's been working on these concepts for about 10,000 years. The human organism has been connected to the planet for about 200,000 years. Some people say as a hominid, it's closer to 2 million years. And I'm not going to fiddle with those numbers right now. But the fact is that uh, life's been going on and doing quite well. Human life has been doing quite well for a long time without that failed construct. What I would suggest is if we really zoom out, life itself has been tinkering on this planet for billions of years. And there is a treasure trove of knowledge and wisdom that we can now access because of our science. We can understand the tinkering and the successes and the failures that have brought us to this moment in time. And rather than reinvent the wheel, this is where David Orr's idea of ecological literacy comes in saying, well, how did these other organisms solve the problem of, of a healthy life in this place and in this time? And so ecological literacy is where I think rather than fixing the concept of nature, I think we just need to get on with the, with the exploration and understanding of how does life work here? And how can I make choices that align with those processes rather than work against them or even destroy them. So do you think what you're doing in the, in the schools, the EFS has much to do with this conversation? So EFS is Educating for Sustainability. It's an international movement. Um, it's happening on every continent. My goal is not about addressing some of the symptoms of our culture my goal for something like EFS is to actually start a new culture. And what I love about the EFS movement is it's saying that the problem is our culture, not the environment. And in fact, the good news, the good news from, from climate change is that it's incredibly healthy response on the part of the planet. The planet is not in trouble. It's Western civilization that's in trouble, but we still don't know how to say that. And so people are focusing on fixing a broken natural world when the problem is saying 
maybe we're not thinking right. Maybe we haven't framed our relationship to each other and the planet in, in the appropriate way. And what I'm drawn to in the EFS movement is that some of those folks have begun to address the change of our culture, not the change of nature. So my focus is to help people understand that we're, we're not fully educating our young people for us to succeed in a relationship with the planet. Um, mostly what they're getting right now is learning how to dominate, control, or use up the planet. And that's why environmental education hasn't been able to overcome those shortcomings. So uh, what I'm drawn to is suggesting that this old culture needs not fixing, it needs to be set aside. I don't know what the new culture looks like. I really don't. Uh, what I do know is that a large scale success of a new culture will include an understanding of how the planet works or um, what the term I like is the ecological literacy. What would you say to somebody, a young person? I mean, I think that's one of the frustrations for young people is that no one's telling them yeah. where they might go search sure. for an sure. answer. Sure. Yeah, well, I, I find a lot of optimism in the thinking of Fritjof Capra. Um, and, and a great book of his to start with is called The Web of Life. And it's a pretty comprehensive overview of both systems thinking and ecological literacy. But there's no recipe in that book about creating a new culture. But I think what's in there are the underlying principles for an ecological culture. I don't know how to change culture. What I do think about are the things that are primary to the existing culture. And some of those things are things like growth and wealth. And I, I'm assuming uh, that infinite growth is not possible on a finite planet. So I think a new cultural focus will have to include a focus on health and limits. And so I think for any young person going forward, I think there's all kinds of work that needs to be done. But I would suggest they look for opportunities that would include the opportunity to focus on health and on working within limits. Oddly enough, I've, I've never been more optimistic in my life than I am right now. And I believe that the optimism comes from the fact only until recently have I even begun to understand what the problem really was. So I used to feel that the problem was fossil fuels or um, greedy Wall Street or um, artifacts of this culture. But I never understood that it was the culture itself that was the real problem. And so I felt disempowered. How do you how do you work on an airplane while it's in midair? It, it just it's just daunting, if not impossible. So the optimism for me is that I think for the first time in my life, and I'm going to be 65 years old very shortly, the first time in my life, I feel like I actually have a better idea of what the problem really is, rather than the symptoms of the problem. So I think climate change is a symptom of a failed culture. 
I think that um, poverty and, and lack of education is a symptom of a failed culture. So the uh, optimism that I have comes from finally being aware of what the real work is. And the real work is going to be creating new culture, not fixing the old one, not minimizing the damage, not trying to create some, some life rafts that some, some people are going to make it and, and most people won't. But I think it's time to um, identify the qualities of that new culture and start actively moving in that direction rather than being stuck in the old concepts of the failed culture. Can we talk about you personally a little bit? Sure. How did you get here? <laughs> yeah. I, I, when I look back, I don't see a clear, obvious path. If I had to generalize it, I feel I've just, I was actually counting it up. I've just spent the last 40 years de-educating myself. I think that probably in high school, I began to have this uncomfortable feeling that I didn't, I wasn't being told the whole story, but I had no idea what that meant. I grew up in a conservative suburban lifestyle and I just had this vague idea that something was missing and I had no idea what it was. I had had some contact with a little bit of nature, but nothing wild, nothing. I mean, we didn't backpack or camp even. Um, we we summered at a, a cottage on a little lake and there were other houses and boats and people around. It wasn't, I would never have said, you know, that I had been immersed in nature, but there was an underlying value of other living things. And I think that's probably the biggest piece that, that brought me forward from my childhood. Was there a moment or a, an experience that kind of... The one that changed my life had nothing to do with nature. I uh, had finished college. I'd worked a job for a little while. I'd spent a year on a kibbutz in Israel, and I really was totally lost. And I just felt I wanted to do something that was meaningful, but also address this search for a new path. And by sheer dumb luck, I heard a story on the radio about a, a group of researchers on Cape Cod who were trying to figure out a different way to live. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. And uh, I ended up going to the New Alchemy Institute on Cape Cod in the late 70s and found a group of people who were trying to think about a way for us to live that reflected ecological principles. There's some simple guidelines for how every ecosystem on the planet works. And they never said that at New Alchemy. They never had a poster up that, that said that. But um, in hindsight, I can see that that's what they were doing. And it deeply, deeply resonated in me. And it wasn't nature. They were building stuff. They were planting stuff. They, it, it wasn't about nature at all, except it was. That changed my life. It affirmed that there was a different way to behave, that it wasn't just my daydreaming sitting alone in my room. There were other 
worldviews and other modes of behavior that could meet the needs of humans and meet the, the needs of the planet. And that was totally affirming for me. So I, I knew I needed to get to work then. To me, I, I never would have thought I was focusing on nature or uh, better understanding nature or I wasn't pursuing nature except that I was. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Nature Revisited. If you enjoyed our conversation with Scott Stokey, you can also find him in my film, Negotiating with Nature, which you can watch at NordenProductions.com. That's Norden, N-O-O-R-D-E-N Productions.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan Van Norden and Charles Kagan. I hope you will join us for our next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, remember, we are nature. Nature.